You're listening to Writers on Writing. I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett. board-certified ear, nose, and throat surgeon with degrees from Harvard University and Emory University School of Medicine. He's done multiple performances for The Moth, where he's won their local story slam. He was a medical consultant for ABC's Grey's Anatomy and a member of the writing staff of Fox's The Resident for two seasons, distilling complex medical and social issues into palatable and understandable mainstream storylines. His memoir, I Can't Save You, a candid account of the ways in which medical residency training shattered the mind of an empathetic, well-intentioned doctor and the arduous task of piecing it back together again through painful and overdue self-discovery was released by Riverhead Books in April. Anthony lives in England with his wife and daughter. On the show, we talked about dealing with titles, format, finding an agent, rejection, writing, and more. But before we bring them on, I want to mention Patreon. If you've been listening to Writers on Writing for a while and have found the show useful to your writing process, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash writersonwriting and becoming a supporter. Any amount at all helps us to continue doing what we're doing. Also, please leave a show review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This will help new listeners find the show. And now for my talk with Anthony Chinqui, author of I Can't Save You. So Tony, I have to talk about, before we talk about I Can't Save You, I have to talk about how we met. Yeah, (laughs) such a a wonderful aspect of serendipity when that when it happens like that. So we're at the L.A. Times Festival of Books and I'm with um, a few friends in the very back of the shuttle that's going to deliver us all back to the Biltmore after the festival on Saturday. And the only seat left was with us. And so <laughs> so you came and sat with us and we all started talking and then dinner happened and you, we all went to dinner and here we are. I mean, yeah. I love <laughs> And I almost I almost missed that that bus back to the to the hotel. I was the last <laughs> person on. I, I was just running. I was very sweaty. But I was so glad that you guys, you know, made a little space for me in the back. I know. I know. It was great. So and then, of course, we find out about I Can't Save You. And um, I would love to hear how this book came about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I, so I, I mean, nobody on the podcast knows who I am yet. So I am, I'm a doctor um, and I started conceiving of this book back when I was in medical residency. So when I was in doctor training and um, I was at our super low point in my, in my life. Um, you know, I, I'd been in training for a couple of years, uh, and I was super depressed. I'd been asked to leave my program for a while because I failed a, a test I really shouldn't have failed. And I was trying to just reevaluate things and kind of figure out, you know, why, you know, I should keep going, you know, not just in life, but, you know, in this job that seemed to be wanting to kill me every day. <laughs> and then I remembered just how much I loved telling stories 
you know, since I was a kid, you know, I, I, I was into all sorts of artsy stuff for my whole life of singing and dancing and playing music, like all this sort of stuff. Um, but it had just gotten just stamped out of me uh, by my job and by the profession. Um, you know, I'd forgotten about it. And so in that moment, I kind of remembered that. And when I thought about telling stories and, and what I used to be very good at, I'd try to think of what story should I tell? And, you know, kind of started thinking that when I had been growing up, I read a lot of doctor memoirs and none really? of the doctor memoirs. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I read a, a whole bunch of them, you know, kind of, kind of trying to prepare myself for the, for the world. And I think a lot of folks do do that. Um, but the way that the world had been described in all of those books seemed to be at odds with how I had experienced it and how a lot of my colleagues were experiencing it. And I I thought it might be useful and helpful to others if uh, if I wrote a different sort of book um, with a with a different kind of honesty about about what it what it means to be a doctor. And along the way, you know, I realized I was really writing about growing up and writing about all the challenges that I've faced as I kind of grew up in the circumstances that I had, and just hoped that you know, uh, a lot of the themes that I wanted to explore would would feel more universal, wouldn't feel like they were just locked into people in the medical community and maybe start some conversations about things that we don't often talk about. It's such a strong memoir um, published by Riverhead, by the way, and the writing is so good. And were you also studying writing along the way or was this just one more talent that you just happened to have? <laughs> um, thank you for that. Um, I I never really wrote all that much. Um, I, I did I did a lot of other stuff, but I I spent my life reading a lot of books, um, and so I think that's where I kind of based my my storytelling um, style on just everything I've consumed over the course of my life. But this is my first real attempt at long form writing. Oh dear. <laughs> now that's depressing that you come to the gate like uh, such a good writer. Um just excellent reviews and just you know all that that what every writer wants. Um so with this memoir it, it also it you know I talk about to my students we talk about narrative voice and you know do you write as you speak or do you you know develop a persona or whatever and reading this it sounded to me like you <laughs> like when we talked at dinner this is tony this is yeah. tony. You know, <laughs> talk about the voice and and nailing the voice and if you had to go through anything to to uh get it to sound this way to sound like you or did it just again it came out like that yeah i mean i i, I think that i i did have to do a lot of work to make some adjustments. I think my inclination was for this just to sound like me talking um, and just for, to, to allow, you know, it to be kind of intimate in that way and to kind of invite people in to what my head kind of sounds and feels like. Um, but in early iterations, I did have to, I did realize that I had to make some adjustments and kind of adjust things for the fact that this was going to be 
in the written word and it wasn't going to be me actually speaking to people. Um, and so, you know, I tried to keep that sort of playfulness and kind of uh, that narrative voice, but I did need to make a lot of adjustments um, to it uh, at the encouragement of my editor, who was very patient with me, but because um, he was just like, I think that, yeah, because he, what he noted early on was that it sounded almost like I was doing stand-up. Oh. Like I was just on stage, just talking to a bunch of people. And um, that would, that kind of crept its way into, you know, my turns of phrase and how I kind of ask questions of myself and answer them and, or just kind of ask an imaginary audience. They're used to, in an early version of this, there was like an imaginary audience that I was talking to. Um, and that's kind of how I, I was trying to frame it. Um, but, you know, I, I had to kind of pull back from that and kind of reframe it more as a conversation that I was having with myself and, um, you know, make it feel less performative, like less like I was out here to entertain um, and more just like, hey, you're you're locked in my head for better or worse. And, you know, I hope you like the ride. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you have, I mean, you said, you know, the first go through, you were thinking of, you know, it was like stand up or having an audience. But as you um, pulled back from that, were you thinking of a specific reader or audience? Were you thinking of the medical profession? Were you thinking of doctors? Were you thinking of anyone off the street? I mean, you know, was that in your mind who you're writing for? Yeah, I think who I was writing for changed as I was writing it. Because when I first began the process, I thought I was just going to write, you know, kind of an expose of medical education, you know, and just give everybody the grimy details. And, um, but as I, as I got a couple chapters in, I realized that, hey, you know, the story I actually want to tell is not one where I'm just kind of trying to publicly, you know, peel back the curtain on this industry. It was really, a story about myself and you know my identity and once i realized that and realized you know not only about my identity but the ways in which you know my identity had been intertwined with you know how my relationship with my dad worked and with my family and you know also with the job and how the job influenced me um I realized like, oh, this, this doesn't have to just be for people looking to go into medicine or trying to learn about that world. Um, you know, it's a coming of age story. And I thought anybody could relate to that um, as long as they had the stomach for the, the tougher things. And also um, more specifically, I really, really wanted to give a different sort of um, voice to those who struggle with their own mental illnesses and emotional illnesses and that sort of thing. Because, um, you know, a big part of my journey is to understanding um, chronic depression and, and how, you know, I've, I've navigated and, and, and not navigated it over the course of my life. And, you know, it, uh, depression is such an interesting um, disease uh, that doesn't get portrayed, I think, very accurately 
in pop culture and in the media and all that sort of stuff. It's not just about being down in the dumps or anything like that. There's so much that is woven into that experience um, that is often, you know, pretty wild and pretty funny and, and that sort of thing. There's there's so many different facets to it. And I just wanted to try to give voice to that. So, you know, yeah, I, I tried to write it generally for, you know, anybody off the street to pick up, but specifically in my mind, um, those who have struggled, you know, with those sorts of issues and, and also um, those who work in high powered and, and, and really difficult uh, professions. I know there's a lot of feelings that we're taught we're not allowed to express when we're just trying to get by and, um, you know, just survive every day. Um, so I was trying to speak to those folks too, I think. Hmm. Well, and in terms of, of the medical industry, it's interesting that you called it industry. Um, doctors have such a reputation for being impersonal, mm -hmm. right? For not revealing themselves. Mm -hmm. And this is pretty much the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was one of my main goals, like I was saying earlier. Um, with previous doctor memoirs, here's what here's what I I learned from reading doctor memoirs growing up is that most of them, the vast majority, if not all of them that I'd read, um, had a couple of things uh, in common with each other. Um, first was that the authors, uh, the doctors who wrote them, seemed seemed kind of hell bent no matter what on making the reader continue to like them and mm -hmm. to look up to them. Mm -hmm. um, because for doctors, a lot of the time that's, it's very important to us that mm -hmm. people see us as up on this pedestal. Um, and so we wanna be liked. Uh, we want people to think that we are still, you know, in, uh, you know, we're, we're worth all of the adoration that we get. And, you know, no matter what trials they go through, ultimately, it's the medicine that saves them. You know, they can always turn back to that um, and the miracles they're able to perform. And that's really, you know, it makes it all worth it and it helps them through. Um, and I just, I, I didn't feel that way. Um, and um, I, when I started writing, I was like, you know what? If I never get another job as a doctor because of what I write in this book, then so be it. You know, because I think a lot of this stuff just has to be said. Mm -hmm. We all think it. And, you know, if I'm the one who has the ability to tell the story, then then we're just going to go for it. What has been the reaction? The reaction has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, from I've, I've, I've spoken to a lot of, I mean, a lot of friends of mine who've grown up with me and these are all you know these are sides of me that they didn't know about of course they they thought it was really good but my colleagues in the medical profession especially you know folks who went through training with me um it's been so wonderful and supportive um even folks that recognize themselves in the book um <laughs> they just had nothing but wonderful things to say and we, I actually had a um an event at a friend's house uh, in 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 California, and both my friend and his wife are doctors. And we had an event, and they invited a lot of their doctor friends who had who had read the book. And it seemed like um, 
many of them found that I had voiced many of the thoughts that they'd kind of just been afraid to whisper to themselves, you know, and kind of they felt a little bit more free to um, reckon with a lot of the issues that the medical profession like kind of voiced upon them and a lot of the discrimination, a lot of the sexism, the racism, the all this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, they were just like, wow, we can talk about this. And that was just so validating for me um, just to hear from my my colleagues that, you know, it really struck a chord with them. Hmm. You know, I wanted to ask you as a memoirist, because this is something I think memoirs deal with, and that is um, if they're writing about people that are still living, like how to do that? Do you disguise yeah. them? Do you have them vet the manuscript? Do you ask their permission? Or do you just tell the truth and hope for the best? How did you deal with that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's plenty of of characters in this book that I mean, my dad's in all over the book, and people can. He's the one I can't dis, uh, I can't disguise because he has my name. Um, but <laughs> I haven't talked to him in years, and you know, I, you know, I don't know if this book will find him. Uh, wow. But uh, you know, him and and a couple other characters, folks I was in relationships with, you know, they may find the book. Um, my process, um, was just to one was first to write about them with honesty, but even if they were bad relationships, even if they're people that I no longer get along with or no longer see, just to keep in mind that I was writing about them from a place of caring and like mm -hmm. a loving place, you know, um, you know, make sure that I wasn't writing about anybody with whom I was still angry um, <laughs> because that'll come across in the words you choose. Um, and even though, you know, I, you know, some of the descriptions aren't flattering, you know, I wrote about them because I cared about them. And I, I tried my best to be just as unflattering with myself um, and the way I depicted myself in those situations too. Um, and that's how I start. I, I renamed everybody you know, and, you know, I was really nervous about how this all works. And so luckily my publisher has a really good lawyer and I spent uh, a few very important hours with her um, on the phone and we were just going through every single person. And because I had chosen to just kind of uh, fictionalize names and kind of appearances, she just helped me to uh, make sure that I definitely, you know, made an effort to mm -hmm. conceal people's identities so that the average lay person couldn't look them up and, and find them and be sure it was them, you know? Um, they told me, you know, these folks that you're describing, they're not gonna be able to sue you, but they're probably gonna be mad. And are you okay with that? <laughs> and you know, I decided that I was, you know, um, because I knew that I had written about them, not in a malicious way, um, and not certainly not with an intention to harm them. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's kind of how it went. It was a little nerve wracking there. My wife was scared I was going to get sued by everybody in the book. Did anybody get mad at you? Um, if they did, I haven't heard about it yet. <laughs> but um, I actually, you know, there are a few folks that I was 
I was interested to see if I'd hear from, and I did actually hear from one um, who I'd, I'd fallen out of touch with, and, and it's a it's a pretty you know tough story in the book, but we were friends, and and now we're not. Um, and she actually picked up the book, and it was like the first week was out, um, and was just flipping through, um, and didn't think she was gonna show up in the book, you know. And then there she was. And she wrote me the the kindest note. Um, it was just so, so wonderful because, you know, she, it took kind of took her back to one of her darker moments and really, um, it was really formative for her. And she just couldn't believe that that moment was formative for me too, you know, um, and you know, it, you know, we ended up kind of reconnecting over it now that, you know, 10 years have gone by and it's, it's just really, really wonderful. Like I did not anticipate that or expect it. Um, like, I'm sure there are people who are angry, but, you know, just to have someone reach out and, and want to mend, mend a bridge, um, just tells me that the work I did to, to pick them in the way that I did, um, you know, it was, I did the right thing. Did anybody ask you why they weren't in the book? <laughs> <laughs> um, some, some people <laughs> as I was writing, cause everyone knew I was writing a book. I was telling people for the last 10 years, I was going to write this book. Um, and everyone was like, kind of, kind of hoping to get in there, but also kind of scared to be in it. Um, cause they know me. Um, so I haven't had anybody, uh, who's clamoring for their, for their spot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, the format is also a bit unusual. There's different things going on. There's um, like a screenplay mm -hmm. um, format. There's poetry. There's just, you're playing around with form. And I was curious about that when, how that came into the, into the book, when it came, if you could just say something about that, because it's kind of fun when, memoir plays with form yeah right? yeah and and thank you I um from the beginning I knew I wanted to do that um yeah. and the the challenge was uh write, writing the book in a way that made the reader feel like I'd earned the right to take those risks and that they would kind of come along for the ride um because I had an I had an editor who like <laughs> You know, to this day, if he had it his way, none of those parts would be in the book. But I told him, I was like, listen, the my whole thing um, is that my relationship with art um, was really always, it was always indicative of kind of where I was personally with, you know, how steady I was in my own life and my identity and that sort of thing. And when it leaves, then I I start to kind of, not be okay and when it comes back you know the world starts to make a little bit more sense mm -hmm. and also you know it's it's kind of how I it's how I understand I've always understood the world through like different you know mediums of of art and I knew that I had to use it you know strategically um and so you'll see you know like there's less uh, of the kind of breaks to form, like 
earlier on in the book and they kind of emerge a little bit more later on and I kind of lean more into them because that's part of the story that I'm telling. You know, I'm starting the journey in a place where I thought I'd lost all those things. Um, and so I'm kind of scrambling for words um, when, you know, if I were tuned into my artistry, they would have come much easier. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I thought about it. Um, and also a lot of those artsy parts, like the poetry, the songs and that sort of stuff, those were the pieces, those were pieces that I wrote at the time that I experienced them. So yes. back in re medical training, you know, I wasn't writing the book back then, but I just, I just knew like, okay, this is a moment I have to remember, or I'm feeling like I have to write this piece at this time. And I just saved them. And I knew they would make their way in somehow. Um, I wove the narrative after everything was done. But um, those are pieces that kind of actually were around 10 years ago when I was actually going through those moments. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, uh, that was something that was always really important to me to, to incorporate. And even, you know, I had a lot of photographs actually that um, until a late iteration of the manuscript, uh, I had a photograph for the beginning of every chapter and they were photographs I'd taken at the time, the timeframes of those chapters, but turns out it's too expensive to put those in a book. So, um, so I have them in my archives, but um, you know, playing around with form was always super, super important to me. Um, and I just wanted to do the best I could to, to make it work and, and, and have the reader want to see those, those pieces as they came up. Love to hear you read from I Can't Save You. Would you do that? Sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. So we'll, we'll start from just chapter one. So I had the dream again, the Vegas dream, where I wake up in a hotel room face to face with my father. I still can't tell how old he is or how he got there. His ever-present glasses are nowhere to be found. Neither are mine. Maybe that's why his face is so hard to read. Not hard to see, hard to understand. He still looks way too much like me, far more than in real life. But I guess my sleeping brain fucks with genetics way more than I do in the daylight. And still, just like all of the other times this dream has found me, he doesn't say a word. Nothing but silence from my old man as he studies me with eyes that are just a little too much like mine. Then he smiles and I wake up screaming. Heart pounding against my ribs, sweating bullets, arms and legs thrashing, the whole thing. It definitely freaked out the chick who was sleeping next to me. I tried to apologize, but she was already fumbling in the dark for her clothes. She'd forgotten. She had some place to be at, checks analog watch in the dark, 3.15 a.m. on a Sunday. I can admit I was moderately bummed that she didn't even ask if I was okay, but honestly, we'd only just met last night in a hookah bar. Hadn't quite reached the... I'll be your late night dream trauma therapist stage of the relationship. Lucky for her, I didn't add insult to injury by peeing the bed. That's actually been happening a lot lately. And by a lot, 
I mean, more than never, which is way too often for a fucking grown man with a medical degree. So run, Carrie or Courtney or Carney or whatever your goddamn name was. Run for your life and don't look back. You definitely dodged a bullet. What I'm saying is, I think I might be fucked. I think my brain is short-circuiting, inhospitable, broken, melting out through my ears. God damn it, none of those feel right. What I'm trying to say is I feel asphyxiated, I think. Like there's a vice around every muscle in my body and every corner of my mind and with every twitch or stretch or idea or hope, the crank spins and the jaws squeeze tighter and nothing anywhere can breathe. And that's a run-on sentence with a mediocre mix of metaphors that have been stretched within an inch of their lives. Great start. Love it. Thank you. Do you practice, have you practiced reading or read it aloud as you're writing or revising? Not really. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't read aloud as I go. I can hear the voice in my head. I can hear other people's voices in my head pretty well. Um, and just tried to kind of honor them as I, as I wrote. Um, but yeah, that's just, I, I remember writing this, this passage and, you know, the beginning, this, this first chapter is one I, I rewrote several, several times um, and getting, you know, I wasn't really worried about how the voice sounded or anything like that. I didn't, I don't feel I had to say it. Um, I was just being guided by uh, how I remember I felt at the at the moment hmm. and just letting it flow from there. Hmm. So earlier you mentioned um, how you, you know, you weren't trying to make other people look bad. You were really kind of showing your flaws. And that's the thing about memoir. You know, it's like memoirs who want to look perfect. It's not going to happen. It's not a memoir, right? I mean, you have to be willing to go to those places and and as you did in, in the passage you read, you know, go to those places where you're showing um, as much as possible. Was, was that difficult for you? Um, I knew that I had to be honest with the story. And I knew from the start that I had to be honest about, you know, the shitty parts of my, of my life. And when I wasn't a very nice person and you know, when I treated people in ways that I I, I wish I hadn't. Um, so it wasn't difficult to make the decision to, um, to be honest in that way. Um, but I did have to nuance it, I think, uh, because, you know, I, I, I'm kind of a firm believer that, you know, you don't write uh, a book as therapy. You don't write a memoir as therapy. You know, you save that for yourself, for your journal. You save mm -hmm. it for your therapist. But in the book, you're writing for other people. And in order to do that, I felt I needed to navigate a lot of these emotions. Uh, you know, anything that was unresolved, I needed to resolve it, you know, with my therapist first so that I could take myself back to that time and kind of 
come at it from a more objective place. And so if I'm writing about, if, if I'm trying to get into the head of myself 15 years ago, much less mature, um, thinking I'm smarter than I actually am, um, <laughs> I have to know, you know, what was beneath all that stuff um, and understand it now so that I can get back there and paint it in a way that um, can be a, an engaging and satisfying story for someone else to read. Um, so that was kind of uh, the trick. Uh, there was, and that was, that was challenging. That, that required a lot of revisions um, for a lot of different parts of the book to get that right. Did you keep journals from back then? I mean, did you have journals to look at and notes? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, oh man. I've been keeping journals since I was in, in high school hmm. um, and I, I still have them. I still have, uh, you know, these notebooks that I would write uh, everything down on. And I think when I got to med school and residency, I started keeping it on my computer. Um, and I just, you know, when I could remember, I just type or write and, you know, uh, it, I, I, I did go back to a lot of them when I was, writing the book and holy cow you know I could see just in my handwriting mm -hmm. um, my mental space you know like I could see you know when I was really out of it or really depressed or in an awful relationship the way that my words kind of were almost illegible or just kind of were falling off the page in ways that you know normally wouldn't happen and that really helped me uh seeing that now really helped me kind of get back to, to those moments and try to embrace them. You know, something memoirs go through um, is having to reconstruct dialogue. Mm -hmm. I feel a lot of memoirs, at least um, unpublished memoirs who, who are struggling with the memoir, um, try to figure like, how do I write dialogue for someone that when it's like 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I don't remember what we said. What do you, what did you do? Yeah. So, I mean, it's totally human and expected that you don't remember every word to every conversation. I mean, I, for any conversation that, that appeared in the book, there was maybe one sentence that, mm -hmm. I remember it as completely accurate. And that kind of was the touchstone for me for that whole interaction. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, like I just tried my best to approximate it um, and approximate it in the voice of the people I knew and just get the, get the overall story of those scenes right. The actual words I knew were probably uh, just a loose approximation. Um, and I knew that, you know, I was just, you know, I'm doing my best to to put it back together, but I try not to get hung up on uh, remembering the words exactly because I mean the people who you're writing about they don't remember those words exactly right. either. Um, but the spirit of of the moment is what I try to focus on. Mm -hmm. And did you write the entire book before you got an agent? I mean, how did that go? How did you yeah. find an agent? So I, yeah, so that's, that's always the question. So yeah, so I um, decided to write the first four chapters 
before I went looking for an agent. Um, Cause I kind of had in my head kind of the plan of them. And this is how I'm going to kind of lay things out. Um, so it was early draft of those. And that took, you know, several months. Um, and then uh, I started the, uh, the agent search and I, I, I honestly, you know, I don't have any, body in my family who knows the the publishing world or anything I don't know a lot of writers um and so I just went on the internet and looked up you know how do you publish a memoir <laughs> and they were like you need an agent so I was like cool how do I do that and so um uh I found on the internet that you had to write a query letter um and so I studied a lot of them and then gave it a crack you know myself um uh, you know, trying to kind of get the beats of what of what people want to see, um, trying to sell myself, uh, which I'm very bad. I know we're all very bad at that. Um, trying to find, you know, the comps and, you know, trying to find comps that were appropriate, but not, you know, grandiose, and like, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then I sent it out to, I think I sent, uh, the query out in batches um, to agents. And it was like in batches of like eight to 10. Um, and I, I found agents by just going to bookstores and finding books that I liked that I thought were somewhat in the vein of what I was trying to go for and just going to the acknowledgement section and finding their names and then just keeping a long list. Um, so uh, I sent it out overall to like 60 people um i think i was querying for 11 months um and just getting the rejections and then i'd send it out to another 10 and wait the two months and get the rejections or, or hear nothing back um so just kept going i i tried to halfway through the year I, I tweaked a little bit of my query letter i was like maybe i can do this a little bit better um but it was really just finding that one person who who vibed with it. And uh, when I did, you know, after the better part of a year, um, you know, my agent was, you know, 100% in before I even sent him all of the pages. Like, he, he read, like, the first chapter and my query letter, and then he asked, you know, what else do you have? And I sent him all the rest that I had done. And he was like, done, easy. Like, I love this. This is this is great. And and so once we got together, uh, we ended up putting a proposal together. Um, and so the proposal entailed um kind of, you know, the the general proposal things, but as far as the the meat of the manuscript that was in there, it was kind of truncated versions of the chapters that I'd written and then kind of shorter like loose descriptions of the chapters that were to come that I had not yet written. Mm -hmm. um, and we kind of constructed it in that way and sent it out to publishing houses. So as the batches you mentioned 10 at a time, were they like, did you begin with, you know, the agents you would absolutely love? Did you mix it up? Like some you would absolutely love top tier, some mid tier. I mean, how did you figure that out? Yeah, I think at the start, I tried to tear them. Um, <laughs> and towards the end, I was just like, anybody. But um, yeah, I think, you know, I had kind of a top tier based on like how much I liked 
the book that they had represented. Um, and a lot of those folks were like, uh, you know, folks who had done, you know, celebrity memoirs and, and you know, this and that. Um, and so that, I guess, was my top tier. Um, but really, you know, after the first couple of batches, I, I was really just paying attention to uh, what agents were kind of putting on their wish list. Mm -hmm. um, the kinds of stories they were they were they happened to be looking for at that time because I learned over the course of the process that you know those wish lists are fluid and you know they're you know they they want you know their tastes change over time and that sort of thing um, and so yeah I, I I tried to rank them early on but as time went on it's just like <laughs> anybody who might have a passing interest like please read this. <laughs> Were you writing, did you continue writing the memoir as you were querying? I think I actually took a break. Mm -hmm. um, I took a break for, for, for most, of, most of that year just to focus on, on getting it out. Because um, I was just like, I, I, I don't know. Um, the, I, I can play mind games with myself till the cows come home, but the mind game of, finish this book that may never see any sort of light of day was a little too much for me so um I continued to plan it um but I I think I took a pause because I'd been writing for for quite some time to get that much done sure um so then you found an agent and you did a proposal with the agent mm -hmm. and then what so and the agent sent it out to yeah, sent it out to editors at, at various publishing houses. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that process took, you know, a couple good months, two, three months to, um, I mean, uh, he was kind of handpicking the editors because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that's, that's the benefit of having a good agent. They're just plugged into the world and they know, you know, this person would probably want to see something like this and, and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, we sent out to folks, got a lot of, I got a lot of uh, enthusiastic passes, which were, <laughs> which I did, you know, I didn't ask him to keep away from me. I kind of liked hearing that people appreciated it, but, you know, these are folks when you're dealing with your editor, like these are the folks who are going to be in the trenches with you. And if they don't feel that they can support the voice of the story, you know, then they're not the right person for it. And so, you know, I heard about enthusiastic people who felt they were the wrong, you know, fit for it. Um, and then I had a call with, uh, with the one who ended up being my editor, um, Jake Morrissey. And it was really funny because he had done a doctor memoir the year before and saw something in my writing that made him think, oh, I think this is going to be a different sort of thing. Um, this is the sort of story I'd like to see. I wonder if he's, that's where he's going. I wonder if he's open to that. And so we got on the phone and it wasn't like, you know, a love fest. You know, he was just like, I really love what you're doing. Um, tell me where you see this going because this is where I see it going. And are we meeting in the middle here? Like, are we are we uh, on the same page? And so we were on the phone and my agent was like on the phone too. It was like a three-way call. And we're on the phone for like two hours just talking. Um, 
and after we chatted um he didn't like give me the go ahead you know i um basically had to then write him a letter um i totally forgot about this uh like i wrote him a letter kind of talking about how i envision the book in its final form um and you know making sure that you know it was kind of in line with with what he kind of wanted uh, but he needed that um to show his superiors to kind of get behind the book and that sort of thing um before they could offer me the deal so i i had to write this like five six page letter kind of about you know the depths of my identity that i wanted to probe and like all that sort of thing it was really intense um but then you know apparently it was it was pretty good so that that worked so what about the title how did when did the title come i can't save you what a great title right yeah thank you um the title came late in the game actually um it was i had it i had another title for for the longest time um what was it was it? actually yeah it was actually um called fear of flying one of the um one of the chapter titles now um but it turned out that somebody else had a book with that name um so uh my editor is the one who who told me that and he was like we need a new title um and i kind of sat and it didn't take long i kind of sat for an afternoon and kind of was spitballing some to myself but i can't save you was one of the first ones i came up with um that i really liked um where did that come I, from yeah i just thought that it it encompassed I, I i thought that it encompassed the journey of the book um really well um the idea that you know i can't save you if i can't save myself um and also you know that's a doctor telling you that and so you know, as a title, you know, knowing a doctor wrote that, you know, of course, you know, that's something some people will get curious about. Um, but uh, I, I just, I liked the way that title kind of wrapped everything up and and everyone from that point on really, really loved it. Um, so so that's where, that's where it came from. So tell me about um, being a, a story editor for TV um or a consultant how does how that happen and how did what do you do <laughs> yeah so that was a bit of serendipity um because i so i had been after i left training in in detroit i i worked um as an ear nose and throat surgeon in california for about three years and after the first year i knew i just needed to do something else i was like maybe it's a it's a different type of you know, institution I need to work in, you know, just a different doctoring job. Um, and I was looking around for those and nothing quite fit, but, you know, all I knew is I really wanted to quit my job. Um, and so that was a plan. Even if I didn't quite have another job lined up, I was going to leave my job. And maybe a month before I was going to leave, I was just, just on Facebook and I saw this uh, message posted, I don't know if it's ad or what, um, just for a medical consultant for Grey's Anatomy. Um, and so I wrote to them and 
you know, I went for an interview, like I lived in Los Angeles. And so I was like, Hey, you know, I'm going to have some free time. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to work for intern wages, you know, just to, just to kind of see what this is all about. Um, and I ended up working with them for like four months and they are the, and most of the time was spent working with the writers in the writer's room. And so my role was to help them kind of craft the medicine of the stories that they write because the writers don't know the medicine. Mm -hmm. And so they'd come with some wild story they'd seen in the news and be like, hey, is this a real thing? Can we do it? And I would be like, yeah, we can figure out how to do it. Let's go. So um, that was kind of my role. But what I was realizing I really liked was just the way that they put together stories. Um, and the idea that this could be a career just blew my mind. And so I started asking him, like, how do I do it? You know, can I get like you guys? <laughs> and um, luckily, there were some really wonderful writers on that show for whom, you know, writing as a career was their second act also. Like, they had full careers doing all sorts of other things. Um, and so they gave me a lot of great guidance, and I you know, took some classes to kind of learn the craft and that sort of thing and and met a bunch of people um, and ended up, you know, making a friend who recommended me to uh, to the resident, the head writer of the resident. And I ended up getting on that staff. And, you know, that's where I learned a whole lot about, you know, television writing from my from my upper level writers and worked there for a couple of years, got a couple episodes to my name which is really cool um so yeah just I just fell in love with the medium of of writing for television it was really fun for me is that going to continue for you do you want that to continue oh yeah um I'm 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 fully retired from medicine right now really? um and yeah I just let it go and you know now um I I, I left uh the resident um a year ago and I've been focusing on my own stuff right now. The big thing is I'm working on the TV adaptation of this book. Oh, so they're oh and I'm, they're letting me be like the head writer on it. And so this is it's really just a wonderful opportunity. So that's uh, that's what I'm doing day to day right now. Hmm. I was going to ask you. I mean, do you miss you know being a you know being a physician, being a surgeon actively? You're seeing patients. I mean, do you miss anything about that? I don't. Um, <laughs> and it's kind of... <laughs> You're allowed to say that. Kind of, it's kind of wild to, to say it out loud, you know? Um, you know, I, I, people, people do ask me this sometimes and I don't, I don't miss, I don't miss my job um, because I feel like I'm doing what I was supposed to do right now. Um, you know, the journey through medicine allowed me to be where I am right now, but I don't, I don't miss it. I don't want to go back. Um, what I do still try to engage with um, is mentorship um, for folks who are, you know, coming up in medicine and folks who are struggling uh, to, to kind of find their way and their identities in that, in that world. Um, and also um, I really love being an advocate for um people who are patients and who have family who are patients who are trying to navigate the the medical system and navigate uh doctors and and everything like that um because the system is super complicated and you know intentionally opaque 
Um, <laughs> and so it's just so hard for people to navigate for not just basic health needs, but when life gets really complicated and like, say you got cancer and you have to know how to do all that. Like I had a, a buddy um, who, you know, he's my age and he got uh, a cancer of the, of the head and neck, um, which is the type of cancer I used to treat and that I did surgery on and all of that stuff. Um, and so, you know, I would always tell him, you know, if I went through like 10 years of all this stuff, just to be here for you to help you get through this and understand this is totally worth it. Um, and so that's what I try to do for for any for anyone who who asks uh, questions about their own health or or the health of their family, um, just to help them learn what type of questions to ask, help them learn you know what information is important information and what information they could put to the side because they just are overloaded with stuff right. all the time just to help people be better advocates for themselves interesting well as we get to the end of our time together i wonder if you have after being through this process of writing this memoir and the whole publishing deal and now you have a beautiful book and you have other things you're doing with writing what sort of advice um, might you have for memoirists who are coming along, hoping to see their book published, hoping to finish their memoir, hoping yeah. to get to that part of themselves that that they need to get on the page? Any yeah. of that? Um, I would say so. I think that there's a lot of ways that um, the industry will try to discourage memoirists for, from even starting, um, if you're if you're not famous already, you know, if you don't already have a big platform, then some folks will be like, why why would we try to you know sell this? Who cares? Um, and then of course, you know, someone takes a chance on on you and it's and it's super successful and they recognize uh, the the uniqueness of of the story that you try to tell and the way that you tell it. Um, and so for, for aspiring memoirists, I would say, you know, just, just start writing it, man. You know, like, don't, don't let all those voices in before you even start, like, get going. Um, and just start writing it and, and think really hard about why it's you that is the person that should be telling this story. Um, why can no one else tell the story that you're about to tell? Um, and if you can hone in on that, then that's going to come across in your writing. And that's what I really think people are trying to see. Um, you know, a lot of these industry folks are just like worried about the bottom line, but if a cool story comes along that, that is just unique in voice and circumstance, you know, they're going to eat it up and there's, you know, decades, centuries worth of examples of those. So don't just dis don't get discouraged before you even start I'd say <laughs> well Tony thank you so much for uh, being on the show and and for writing this book um, thank you so much I'm so glad you enjoyed and um, it's such a pleasure to to talk about the craft um, of it with you it's just, it's just so wonderful thank you thanks to all of you for loving books and taking the time to listen and a huge thanks to our Patreon supporters 
Thank you to Travis Barrett, who does our music design and has an album's worth of typewriter music on Spotify. The playlist is called Just My Type. You can access our archive of shows, 25 years worth, at writersonwriting.com. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at penonfire at earthlink.net. My website is penonfire.com. Marie Stone is at mariestone at gmail.com and Travis Barrett is at travisbarrettcreative at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. And in the meantime, remember to stay in the chair. Thank you.